Okay, welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our July 31st. 2008 edition of the show. It's 5.06 on the clock. That's 5.06 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here in Irvine, California. Before we get started, I have a couple quick reminders for you. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at KUCI.org. You can also catch me on MySpace. That's MySpace.com slash OutTheRabbitHole. A conference will be held on September 13th and 14th in Andover, Massachusetts, the purpose of which will be to explore legal grounds for prosecuting President Bush and top members of his administration for war crimes. This quite serious gathering of legal experts is not a stunt, but actually plans to set up organizational structures for seeking such prosecutions in whichever courts possible. The convener for this event is Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, Lawrence Velvel. He is our special guest today. Dean Velvel is the editor of a journal called the long-term view hosts a TV show called uh, Books of Our Time, a radio program, What the Media Doesn't Tell You, and has authored several books and blogs at velvelonnationalaffairs.com. He has been active in Supreme Court litigation, constitutional law, antitrust law, and complex litigation, and has written 33 United States Supreme Court briefs. Dean Velvel, welcome to the show. <clears throat> Thank you very much. Yes, why was organizing this uh, conference something you felt you needed to do? Well, <clears throat> fundamentally, like a lot of uh, people, uh, it seemed that there was going to be no redress uh, in politics. Uh, it, <clears throat> it, seems, it seems that the federal government has gotten totally out of control. Uh, the Democrats were elected. Immediately they said impeachment's off the table. Uh, and uh, so, uh, having lived through Vietnam, which uh, as an adult the entire time, and Vietnam, let me say, was far worse than what's going on today, uh, and thinking, as uh, most Americans probably did, that it just couldn't happen again, uh, but seeing that indeed it did happen again, it became fairly evident that if unless we find some way of forcing American leaders to uh, live within the law, to adhere to law, uh, then perhaps it could happen again in five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, uh, or uh, as uh, Iraq was 30 years or, and more after uh, Vietnam, maybe 30 years from now. So it uh, seemed that we'd better... Uh, try to hold the leaders accountable. There were individual, there are individual organizations which have been trying to uh, uh, have prosecutions brought in foreign courts in Germany, in Italy, in France, uh, but uh, these uh, organizations were uh, working individually, not together, and uh, so it seemed like a good idea to have a conference where we, where, uh, we would discuss all the possible uh, violations of law that can be charged, uh, some of the facts that support those violations of law, and try to set up some kind of uh, or organized umbrella uh, group uh, to coordinate uh, what people are doing and establish a, a center, as it were, where, uh, where uh, briefs can be uh, kept so they're available to anybody, articles can be kept so they're so they're available to anybody, evidence. In other words, a place where people could uh, readily get hold of uh, anything that's relevant for cases. Um, you know, those of us who are doing this don't really expect, I think, well, there may, it may be that some do, don't really expect that there are going to be prosecutions in American courts because uh, American courts are too tied in with what is going on and too tied in with pseudo-patriotism. It's hardly patriotism, in fact. It's the very opposite. But uh, we don't really expect that American courts will do things, although we could be wrong. And I think that people like Vince Pugliosi, who will be speaking at our conference, and of course he lives out your way, 
uh, might uh, very much uh, hope, at least, and maybe even think that uh, Amer American prosecutors might act. But um, I think that at least for the next few years, until America gets over its uh, latest bout of uh, dr drunkenness with, uh, uh, with oppression, uh, which, you know, we've had these before. We had them in the, the end of World War One, and we had them in the McCarthy era. We had it in Vietnam. Uh, we've had it several times. We had it back in the days of the Alien and Sedition Acts in the late uh, 1700s and early 1800s. Uh, until we get over this latest bout, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think American courts will do anything, but foreign courts might. Uh, it's at least a possibility. Uh, an Italian court has charged... Uh, 15 or 24 uh, CIA people in absentia. I forget which which one of those is the exact number. Uh, they've charged them in as, uh, uh, absentia as well as high uh, Italian Secret Service officials uh, with crimes in Italy for uh, abducting somebody off the street and sending them on to uh, is it, was it Syria or Egypt for rendition uh, where he was tortured. So it is possible, at least, that uh, foreign courts or the or some international court might do something. Okay, so yeah, we have all been seeing those of us who are paying attention, who are not putting those false patriotic uh, blinders on. These been we've been seeing these crimes being committed, these apparent crimes of uh, war crimes and these unconstitutional acts, and we have our Congress does not seem to be stepping up and doing what they need to do in their uh, role of uh, being checks and balances to the executive branch and the judicial branch branch seems to be uh, quite tainted as you said and so therefore you decide we, we've got to get together and do this in any way we can if we have to take it into foreign courts and so that seems to be the the driving uh, purpose of what you're doing there which I applaud and so uh, you um, you mentioned uh, Vincent Bugliosi, who will uh, be at your conference, and uh, could, who are some of the other uh, people who will be uh, participating? Well, uh, uh, Betsy De La Vega, who also lives out your way and who wrote a, a book uh, uh, called uh, uh, United States versus George W. Bush, if I remember correctly, uh, in which she shows, it's quite an excellent book, uh, uh, why uh, Bush and company, a whole slew of those people, uh, are guilty of uh, the federal crime of conspiracy to defraud the United States. Uh, there will be people there, uh, a fellow from the University of Houston, uh, who will be speaking on international uh, uh, criminal conduct. Uh, there, there's uh, Right now we probably have about, uh, now I don't know, 10 or 15 people already who are going to be speaking uh, on one thing and another. It's quite a, quite a lengthy list. People, uh, it's on the conference's website, which I think, I didn't set it up. I don't even use a computer. Uh, <laughs> but I think the website is called war-crimes.info. Uh, and uh, at least I hope that's what it's called, because uh, that's my best, that's as good as I can do in terms of recollecting. Um, uh, right now I'd say there's probably... Uh, I don't know, eight or ten or twelve. Philippe Sands, who wrote a book called The Torture Team, uh, an English, a professor in England at the University of London, I believe it is, uh, will be uh, will be speaking. Uh, a lot of people who have become very well known uh, uh, for their opposition, their legal opposition uh, to uh, what has been occurring, will uh, will be there speaking and uh, and be in the audience. And you mentioned there there were so. Um organizations who were already working on trying to get some sort of uh, prosecutions together and uh, that you wanted to bring them together in sort of an umbrella organization. And you, uh, uh, I, Center for Constitutional Rights would be one of those organizations, right? Yes, and, yes that's right. Yeah, and, uh, National Lawyers Guild or some of these others? I think so, the National Lawyers Guild, and a woman, uh, seems like everybody's out your way, you know, Marjorie <laughs> Cohn, uh, I think it is, uh, I think she's at the Thomas Jefferson School of Law, uh, and I believe she's head of the National Lawyers Guild, she's not going to be at the conference, she cannot be there, but uh, the Guild has been active in this, the ACLU has been active in this, and somebody from the ACLU will be there. Um, I think that those uh, organizations... Uh, the the Guild, the ACLU, and the uh, Center for Constitutional Rights uh, have been the ones that thus far have been the most uh, active. Uh, but there are, you know, there are other organizations that uh, 
uh, I hadn't really known about or heard about uh, uh, previously that are active, too. A, a couple of them were represented. I don't even remember their names. I apologize. But uh, a couple of them had representatives before uh, Congress at the uh, pseudo-impeachment hearing that was uh, held by Representative Conyers the other day, a, a, a veterans organization, uh, and another one, uh, their, their, their heads made very fine uh, speeches. So, uh, you know, there's been more than just the uh, three major organizations uh, who are involved in this, although I don't know that the veterans organizations as of yet have uh, been involved in legal cases. Um, yeah, I saw, I think, what you're talking about last week with Conyers, uh, the uh, uh, Vincent Bugliosi, I think, was actually uh, spoke at that event last week, is sort of on on the uh, hearings on the imperial presidency or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And, yes, he, he did. He, he actually, I, I thought his speech was quite brilliant. Oh yeah, I thought it was as well. And um, uh, he was discussing the legal notion uh, put forth in his book that because George W. Bush started an illegal war based on lies. He is guilty of murdering every person who died in that war. And Bugliosi made an interesting point at the, uh, also as well, that the more important lie was not about Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction, but about him being an imminent threat to the security of the United States. And uh, so, like, even if the Iraqi leader had the weapons, which we know he didn't, he had no way of delivering them to the United States, and more importantly, he had no uh, death wish. D- did I get that right? Is what Bugliosi was argue- arguing? Fundamentally, uh, yeah, I think you're fundamentally right, Robert. Yeah, uh, as I remember it, uh, a big point, which I believe is made both by uh, Bugliosi and De La Vega, if my memory serves, uh, is that uh, in in response to people who say that uh, Bush might have believed his own BS. You know, he, he might not be have been dishonest in the sense uh, you're dishonest when you deliberately tell people things you know not to be true, you, that you believe not to be true. Uh, there are people who say that because uh, Bush probably believed, uh, or I shouldn't say probably, may have believed his own BS, or if he believed his own BS, he's not guilty uh, of uh, defrauding uh, the people, and if he's not guilty of defrauding the people, then uh, he wouldn't be guilty of the uh, crime of conspiracy to, to defraud the United States, and he wouldn't have the requisite intent uh, for a murder charge. Well, I think both Bugliosi and De La Vega point out, certainly one of the two at least does, that uh, deliberately knowing or, or, or absolutely knowing that what you're saying is false is not the test, either in murder charges or in conspiracy charges. Uh, rather, if you are aware of information that could uh, lead people to think that what you are saying is wrong. You have a responsibility to put forth that information as well as the information uh, which you favor. This is a very old concept, by the way. It's been it's been uh, the concept of material omissions. That's what they're really talking about. Material omissions has been a concept uh, used in securities law for at least. I don't know, what, 75, 80 years, I guess. So this is not a new idea, and, and their idea, their notion is that uh, Bush was in, in possession of information, estimates from the uh, uh, national intelligence estimates from the uh, 16 uh, uh, U.S. agencies involved with, with the NIEs, CIA estimates, uh, and, other, uh, and other information that uh, shed great doubt on uh, whether our, the information that uh, we had obtained was correct uh, about WMDs, about the famous uh, what was it, aluminum tubes, uh, about uh, an alleged meeting between the, the, the leader of the hijackers, Atah, and, uh, and an Iraqi official in, uh, where was it, in, in the Czech Republic, if I remember correctly. Um, we, Bush was in possession of much information from, from uh, intelligence agencies saying, taint so, we don't believe it. You know, there's no good evidence of it, and there's evidence against it. And he didn't, he and Cheney and the rest of that lying crowd 
did not talk to the American, did not tell the American people about the evidence contrary to their point of view. Rather, they pretended that all evidence points in one direction and that there is uh, nothing to be said on the other side. Well, those of us who are out in the public and who, are, who, who thought, well, geez, if this is all true, what he's saying, maybe we don't have any options but to try to take this fellow out. Well, we were, we were uh, in effect, fooled, misled, lied to, call it whatever you want, because people, would, people including the Congress, would have felt quite differently had the full truth been presented so that people would have known there was a considerable body of a highly informed opinion from the intelligence agencies that says this stuff is just not so. Right, and that I think, and moreover that Saddam Hussein did not wish to commit suicide and attacking the United States was basically be doing that, that the to start a war with the United States, he could not possibly win, and he would be taken out of power. And they they just completely bypass that bit of logic. And so I think I think uh, Bugliosi was also you know kind of adding that into the mix of everything you just said there as well. And uh, this is Robert Larson out the rabbit hole, KUCI in Irvine, and we're speaking with. Lawrence Velville, the dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, and we're talking about his upcoming conference. This will be September 13th and 14th in Andover, Massachusetts, and this conference will be uh, about uh, putting together a plan for prosecuting the uh, top members of the Bush administration for war crimes for uh, starting an illegal war and uh, torture and several other activities. And if we could, uh, real quick, while we're still talking about uh, Vincent Bugliosi, uh, I read in your blog something you wrote recently about Supreme Court Justice Scalia and made me think about Bugliosi's earlier book on the uh, Bush v. Gore decision. In it, he makes the point that the uh, that, that decision was legally bizarre and couldn't even be construed to be a weirdly ideological one, but it was you know, purely political. These five, with Scalia as the ringleader, were throwing all legal theories out the window and finding strange logic to create the result they wanted. Do you agree with that assessment? Yes, yes. Uh, uh, you know, um, constitutional lawyers, people who study the subject, uh, seem all to agree. It's been years since they read the decision, so I can't exactly tell you the precise wording or the precise logic of it. But what is what one cannot forget is that everybody seems to agree that the Supreme Court delivered a result uh, on the equal protection that cannot have a re uh, an effect in any other case ever. It was uh, for this case and this case alone. Uh, in, a, in the words of a, uh, fa of a judge in a famous 1947 Supreme Court case, it was a ticket good for this day and train only, for those who still remember what it's like to take trains. <laughs> um, and uh, that's, uh, you know, pretty much the way it was. They invented a new theory of equal protection that, uh, that uh, uh, was good for that day and train only, and they did it uh, to put uh, George uh, Bush into office. Now, uh, you know, uh, what's his name says? Scalia denies that mightily and claims it wasn't political, it was all legal. Uh, and, that if, uh, and, of course, people say, and there's, there is truth in this, I'm afraid, that if it hadn't been this, our, the federal Supreme Court which made a decision, it would have been the Florida Supreme Court, and they say that that Supreme Court was ideological. You know, if you, if you ask me, uh, it, this looks like one that the federal Supreme Court should have stayed out of. Maybe the Florida Supreme Court should have stayed out of it, too. But I think, you know, to tell you the truth, I think the real culprit were the politicians, because the politicians, if you remember, they were uh, having argument after argument uh, between the two sides. Uh, on, uh, do you count the ballots from uh, one particular county? Do you count them from three counties? Which county? Why didn't they just say, let's have a do-over in this entire state of Florida, or let's count the, all the ballots from the state of Florida? See, everybody was, was trying to seize on what would benefit their side the most while harming the other side by the omissions, uh, you know, that is to say, 
uh, the omissions being ballots that would not be recounted. Well, you know, I, I don't like it when people, uh, instead of trying to be fair about it and saying, hey, let's just do an entire do-over or count them all over in this case, uh, they try and pick and choose to benefit themselves. And I blame Gore as much as I blame Bush for that kind of thinking because they both engaged in that kind of thinking. But uh, in the last analysis, uh, what happened was that the Supreme Court decided that it was going to render a decision which can have no presidential value in any other case ever. This was done uh, in major part by uh, judges who pretend that uh, there should be less federal power, including less power in the federal courts. Uh, And uh, they made George Bush president, and they thereby created, uh, well, I can't say this is the greatest disaster in American history because I think the Civil War was worse and Vietnam uh, was worse, but uh, possibly it ranks uh, third. Uh, You know, I'm not including... Not including World War II is a disaster because we were fighting for something worthwhile, although, of course, the, re- the results of the war were far more horrendous uh, than anything that's going on now mm-hmm. uh, in terms of destruction of life and property. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, they, they, they caused this disaster, and uh, they put, on the, uh, they put in the, into the Oval Office a guy who, uh, the only question about Bush uh, at this time, apparently, according to what most historians feel, uh, who are willing to uh, opine at this time, is that uh, uh, the only question is, is he going to be regarded as the single worst president in American history, or will James Buchanan continue to outrank him for that title? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's pretty bad. But, but James Buchanan was not uh, guilty of the kinds of war crimes that we're discussing here, though, right? <laughs> no, he, he just permitted there to be... Uh, uh, he just permitted a civil war to uh, come upon us, uh, and he did some other terrible things too, like uh, uh, telling the country in advance uh, everybody should be bound by whatever the Supreme Court says uh, in the Dred Scott case, when uh, apparently he knew in advance, which is itself a terrible breach of edit, of protocol, he knew in advance what the result of the Dred Scott case was going to be, so, and he sat there and he, uh, you know. He twiddled while the country uh, diddled, while the, like Nero at the bridge uh, fiddling. He did nothing while uh, the country fell apart. But uh, he didn't commit war crimes, no. Right. The things we're talking about now, um, you know, these very obvious war crimes would be an illegal war of aggression, uh, the invasion of Iraq, torture, and what, what would are some of the others? Uh, are, I, I know I had... Um, well, I think it was Ray McGovern on the show, and he said many of these war crimes, they all come under the main war crime of the illegal war of aggression. Is that correct? Uh, well, I don't know if whoever the person was said that or didn't say that. Uh, I would not think that's correct. I think fundamentally you've got two categories of war crimes here, uh, and then in each category there are many statutes which can be employed. But fundamentally, I think you've got two uh, kinds of war crimes. One is uh, the crime of uh, crimes against peace or of aggressive war. Uh, in this case, uh, it's been called preemptive war. But it all comes down to uh, starting a war when you have no right to do so. Uh, that, that's one. Uh, and, uh, and the other uh, is, uh, by the way, and I should say, I am not quite sure. And I think it will be a subject of some discussion. I'm not quite sure what you do about the concept of what Americans so blithely like to call collateral damage. Collateral damage meaning, yeah, we killed a couple hundred thousand of their people, but it was unavoidable. We were dropping bombs, and when you drop bombs, you kill innocent people. Uh, America has been fighting its wars that way. This is a whole other subject. Uh, both militarily and politically, as well as legally, uh, about the way we fight our wars when we are fighting insurgency wars. Now, World War II, you know, was uh, all out and so forth, and nobody thought about uh, war crimes for for, uh, dropping bombs, uh, destroying uh, most of Germany, and destroying much of uh, Japan. And quite frankly, I'm not, I am not among those people who think we shouldn't have done that. Uh, I think we should. And uh, for uh, one thing that I would point out about that, and about the fact that we tried their leaders after the war and uh, tried them, found them guilty, and hung them, 
uh, that, the destruction and so forth, you'll notice that Germany, which had threatened the peace of the world repeatedly for 100 years, has never threatened it again. And neither has Japan, which itself was uh, pretty threatening to the peace of the world for 20 or 30 years. Um, so, but anyway, the bottom line is one category comes under the heading of, uh, call it preemptive war, aggressive war, call it what you will, plus some kind of a sort of uh, a, a subcategory, and I do, really don't know what it, how to make, uh, what to think of it in legal terms, of uh, is it legal to engage, uh, to uh, fight a war in which you destroy so much innocent life? And, you know, that that's going to be a, a major question in the future for lots of countries if uh, these kind of... Uh, these kind of, what do they call these kinds of wars, a, uh, asymmetrical wars continue. Uh, so that's one category. The other category fundamentally comes down to uh, uh, torture and abusing human beings. And, uh, you know, under that category, you get the actual torture, you get the deaths that involved there. Uh, 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 that occur during the torture. You get uh, holding uh, people who we now know as at Guantanamo were innocent. Uh, apparently, the, the 500 or 600 people at Guantanamo whom Rumsfeld falsely described as the worst of the worst, uh, apparently, from what I'm reading these days, about three or 400 of them had absolutely nothing to do with al-Qaeda, jihad, or anything else. They were picked up off the streets by enemies who were bounty hunters whom the Americans paid, maybe 50 or 100. I was, I've been reading Jane Mayer's book, which is the latest book on these subjects. Uh, you know, I think uh, Mayer says something like 50 or 100 of these people uh, were persons whom, we could, whom you, know, you can justify our having held. And we picked up people in the United States who were citizens and held them for months on end, Command Municato, uh, you know, no lawyers, no uh, no uh, connections with their family, families, uh, and we held them. So all of this holding of uh, innocent people, uh, it's not that's not torture, but that's part of the abuse. That's part of the abuse business. And of course, kidnapping people off the streets uh, in uh, Europe and elsewhere, and sending them on for torture to Thailand, uh, to uh, to uh, uh, Egypt, to Syria. Uh, to, to secret prisons in Poland and elsewhere. All this is, uh, comes under the heading of abuse and torture. It, it all violates the, the Geneva Conventions. It violates the Convention Against Torture. And it violates uh, other rules as well, including two United States statutes which make this uh, illegal, and uh, the War Crimes Act of, I think it's 1996, and the anti-torture statute. Uh, I've forgotten the exact year the anti-torture statute was passed, sometime in the 80s or 90s, uh, I believe. And, um, and uh, the crimes under the domestic uh, laws, the crimes, uh, well, you know, they, they even, uh, they, it can even be death. I don't think that under the anti-torture statute, uh, uh, at least not, not under that statute, I don't know, the other things might be a different story. But under that statute, I don't think people like Bush and uh, Cheney are punishable by death because if you're merely part of a conspiracy rather than the actual inflict inflictor of the torture, I think the maximum punishment is life imprisonment. I believe you have to be the inflictor in order to uh, uh, possibly be capitally punished if if somebody died from what you were doing. Uh, I, I don't know whether uh, under the War Crimes Act, which is different from the anti-torture statute, uh, I don't know whether death uh, for, uh, quote, mere, unquote, conspiracy uh, is uh, one of the staff, uh, provisions, uh, one of the punishments there. So, so uh, you know, it comes down to two things, basically, mistreating human beings and, uh, and beginning uh, unjustified wars. And, and so the torture, I mean, there's a lot of confusion out there about that, spread a lot of times by the right-wing media, but the torture is illegal under several statutes, international and uh, domestic laws, and uh, it's... Uh, and when these treaties that we sign, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, when we sign on to treaties, they become the law of the land. Is that correct? Say that again, please. When we sign on to treaties, international treaties, th that then becomes the law of the land, right? That is true. That is true. Uh, uh, we are bound by the uh, uh, conventions, uh, in the convention in the sense of an international agreement or a treaty. Uh, uh, we are bound by the international conventions to which we have signed on. 
Uh, and there is also an international law. I find myself more and more having to discuss international law, which was never something that I really knew a lot about. Uh, unfortunately, I'm finding out more about it now. Uh, uh, there is something called, uh, oh gosh, uh, a customary international law. Uh, and that binds every country whether you sign on or you don't sign on. And a lot of these kinds of abuses have become part of customary international law, as well as being part of uh, treaties that to which we have signed on, and as well as being expressed in American domestic statutes. And, uh, you know, somebody said something to me today, which I, I think it's important to uh, talk about, because I know that you must be hearing it a lot. Um, the right wing has been saying that uh, people who wish to bring law to bear here are trying to uh, 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 legalize or criminalize mere political conduct. That's a lie. And in fact, it's the very opposite. They're trying to politicize unlawful conduct. Uh, you, you understand my point. They're trying to say that what is illegal is not illegal. Uh, you know, it's mere politics. The truth is quite the opposite, that any, virtually any subject can uh, be a political matter and at the same time be a legal matter. That's true every day, uh, you know, in a host of areas. Uh, and uh, that's what we have here. We have something here. We have a number of things here which are illegal under both domestic law and under international law, and uh, the people who support Bush are trying to say, oh, well, that's irrelevant, this is just politics. And we uh, have uh, George Bush actually admitting to uh, authorizing waterboarding, and would, my understanding, I mean, common sense just tells me that waterboarding is torture, what is the sort of, is there a consensus of opinion in the legal community on that? Well, in the community of people who do international law, uh, there's no dispute about it. It's torture. It's been torture for 500 years. Uh, if you read uh, Jane Mayer's descriptions of uh, what, what was done to various people uh, in, uh, in uh, uh, whom we waterboarded, uh, you know, it, it's not. It's it cannot legitimately be. Uh, it cannot legitimately be debated. Uh, in fact, you know, here, here, here's uh, something that not too many people know, and I'm only beginning to find out about it myself. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our people undergo waterboarding uh, as an experiment, as it were, or to teach them what it's all about. Probably scores or hundreds, and. Uh, um, and they do, they do it as part of various governmental programs. And they, too, say, hey, you can't stand that for more than five seconds. I just read somebody today who uh, I forgot who it was. I do so much reading, I forget <laughs> who and where. But uh, a guy who is an, Amer an American, either a military fellow in military intelligence or CIA, I can't remember, and he said he withstood it for about five seconds. Uh, and, you know, they say, they, they, they say waterboarding is simulated drowning. No, it's not. There's nothing simulated about it. You're drowning when you're being waterboarded. If they didn't stop, you will drown. Right. It's just it's drowning not necessarily to the point of death, but y you don't know that, and, you, and the pain is just as uh, severe. And uh, we, uh, I believe I heard that at the end of World War II that there was a Japanese individual who was prosecuted for war crimes for that exact act. Are you familiar with that? I, I'm not familiar with the case, but I have heard that same point made. But I don't know the, the particular case involved. I certainly have heard the point, though. Yeah. And I also know that uh, recently uh, Christopher Hitchens, who was a supporter of the war, uh, subject, had himself subjected to waterboarding and came out unequivocally that it was torture. So for what that's worth, and, uh, you know, so it's... Uh, and, and Bush has admitted to this. So, I mean, it seems pretty obvious that the prosecutions need to be done, and, but the, the, the authorities in place are not doing that. So, again, I applaud you for uh, doing this, for putting together this conference to seek out uh, uh, legal uh, remedies for uh, prosecuting these people for war crimes. And that will be September 13th and 14th.
in Andover, Massachusetts. Uh, 13th and 14th. Yeah. Did I say that wrong? Or <laughs> I thought you said 50th, but anyway, the 13th and 14th. 13th and 14th. And let me see. I think uh, I'm trying to... Uh, can I give out an email address so they can get more information from, uh, I have the contact for, uh, Jeff, uh, Demers? Yes. Okay, uh, let's see, uh, Demers, D-E-M-E-R-S, at M-S-Law dot E-D-U, or info at war hyphen crimes dot info, so you all can find out more information about that. Now, is this open to the public, or is it just, uh, the, uh, legal scholars? Oh, no, it's open to the public, and uh, I gather that uh, just today something like 15 people signed up. Okay, and we'll give out that information again before the show is up here. And I'm speaking with uh, Lawrence Velvel. He is the dean of the Massachusetts School of Law and the uh, convener of this event. And uh, so now at the end of World War II, when we had these war crimes prosecutions, uh, there were the people who actually committed these horrendous acts, killing and torturing civilians, and the people who uh, gave the orders. The, these people were all prosecuted. But there were also people prosecuted who were lawyers, who didn't give orders, but who gave legal justifications for these uh, horrendous acts. And... Uh, now, I, are you guys going to look into that, uh, the, the legal, the lawyers responsible for writing these memos saying that, oh, this type of behavior is perfectly okay? Uh, yes, uh, Philippe Sands, the English scholar I spoke of earlier, has written about that uh, in his book, The Torture Team. Sands actually, uh, he won't identify who they are, but he actually... Uh, he says, spoke with a foreign prosecutor and a foreign judge and uh, put before them the facts of uh, one of the particular cases. And uh, their opinion was, well, if these facts are true and if these facts came before them, the prosecutors felt that he would have to prosecute and the judge felt he would have to find guilt. Uh, obviously, uh, they didn't uh, want their names known, so he won't identify it. But uh, uh, this is, uh, as part of, this is included in the, uh, Sands' discussion of the culpability of lawyers in Nazi Germany and the culpability of lawyers uh, in the Bush administration for what has gone on. Uh, you know, there is a crowd of these people, John Yu, Gonzalez, uh, uh, I guess Philbin, uh, Addington, big time, uh, uh, I don't know, there's another uh, the three or four of them, Haynes uh, from, the, from the Department of Defense. Um, who are uh, who, who are extraordinarily culpable? One of the interesting things about this is, that, and uh, uh, it's something that people are only well, maybe maybe people have forgotten, or maybe we're only just beginning to learn, or we're, at least we're we're now in the process of learning more extensively. Uh, is that there were a, a number of people in the in the administration and lawyers in particular who opposed this stuff and who weren't listened to, and who got cut out of the process, which became a closely held secret process involving only uh, six or seven or eight lawyers, uh, while the military JAGs, the Judge Advocates General, uh, they were all cut out. So the, State, the State Department was cut out. People uh, in the, within the Department of Justice who disagreed and who were lawyers were cut out. Uh, Chertoff, by the way, he's another guy who was one of the uh, uh, small group that uh, that uh, allowed all this to go on. Uh, but there were people who, I think, in future years, when the history, when the histories of this are written, ten and fifteen and twenty years uh, from now and more, are going to come out as heroes because they stood up sometimes at the. Uh, at the cost of their jobs, their livelihood. Right. They stood up and said, what you're doing is wrong. Uh, and they weren't listened to, and as I say, they got cut out. Uh, a, a small, uh, what we're beginning to learn, it first came out, I think, in Jack Goldsmith's book, and he's another one who's culpable, although he's managed to get himself whitewashed. Uh, it, but it first came out in his book that there was a small group of them called the War Council. Uh, you was a part of it, and I think Haynes was, and Addington, and uh, uh, there was a fourth who's escaping me at the moment. Uh, uh, this small group of people uh, acted in secret. Uh, they wrote memos in secret. Uh, you know, uh, I just found out recently, we're, we're beginning to find out more and more. 
that the infamous uh, memoranda, one of the infamous memoranda, the one that Gonzalez uh, allegedly wrote to George Bush saying that the Geneva Conventions are quaint uh, and, you know, not to be indulged uh, in this uh, new kind of war, we're, allegedly new kind of war we're fighting, which is not a new kind of war at all, by the way. Uh, 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 this famous memo allegedly written by Gonzalez in which he signed wasn't written by Gonzalez at all. It was written by Addington is, uh, is apparently the case. So uh, at least that's what I read within the last few days, I think, in Mayer's book. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, there are some heroes there who uh, suffered greatly for what they did. But what we have, as with the jur as with the German lawyers and judges, is a small group of people who uh, decided to, to give uh, an impermissible legal blessing uh, to uh, acts which uh, cannot be countenanced under either domestic or foreign law. And uh, those lawyers w were prosecuted, and so uh, people like uh, um, Addington and John Yu and. Uh, Alberto Gonzalez and uh, uh, Haynes and uh, these people would be just as equally culpable and, and uh, subject to these war crimes prosecutions for twisting the law to make it seem to say that something that it doesn't is actually say the opposite. And uh, the um, let me just ask you, John Yu and David Addington. Um, I don't believe, from what I've read, that they are anywhere near the mainstream of legal thought, that these guys are just so far extreme off of what the, any, most people in the legal community believe. Is that correct? That, that is certainly my understanding of it. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, and now let me also ask you about the war architects. Would these people that, that, not, that didn't necessarily give orders or weren't even necessarily in the administration, but uh, help to sell this idea of the war, and I'm thinking of people like uh, in the Project for the New American Century and these people like, uh, oh, uh, what's the guy, he's on TV all the time uh, from the uh, Weekly Standard. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, even wrote a, I even wrote a relevant blog today about this. You're thinking about William Crystal, right, right. Whom the new, uh, the August, I say sarcastically, New York <laughs> Times has given uh, a forum to uh, William Crystal, Pearl, uh, D Doug Richard Pearl, Doug Fife, uh, a whole crowd of these uh, neocons. There, there's about seven or eight of them who uh, who have been uh, who were instrumental in uh, getting us into war. Wolfowitz would be another one. And again, I'm, you know, off the top of my head, I'm forgetting another three or four whom I mentioned today in the block. Uh, I don't know their couple, but it's a very interesting question because they had no, uh, no official governmental position except that, uh, you know, and I'm just sort of ruminating off the top of my head now, there was something called the uh, uh, defense in, uh, the defense board. Uh, I don't have the name exactly right. Uh, it was a group of advisors to Donald Rumsfeld. The group was headed by Richard Pearl uh, and included uh, a number of these people. Elliot Abrams would be another one. Um, does this make them complicitous or li uh, liable uh, in the uh, at least in the uh, unlawful war aspects of these things? Um, you know, it's just, this is above my pay grade, as they say. <laughs> I don't know the answer to these questions yet. And, uh... Well, I'm sure you will discuss that at the conference, and, and one of your uh, many experts will have an answer for that. Uh, and uh, now there, there are these groups like the Office of Special Plans, the White House Iraq Group, and uh, it, it seems to me that these people could be charged in the sense of, of some sort of conspiracy to create uh, this false notion of that we were in danger and that we needed to go to war. Well, I, I will say this. If they uh, did that knowing, and some of them may have known, that the evidence doesn't support it, or that they are withholding evidence contrary to what they are, uh, to the result they are seeking, the result being war. Uh, and if they had influence, maybe they are culpable under uh, a conspiracy charge, uh, 
under a domestic law or a conspiracy charge under international law. I don't know, but, uh, you know, now that it's come up in this interview, and it's never come up before, actually, in, the, in all the interviews I've done, I'll be certain that it gets raised at the conference. Okay, well, I'll, I'll check back with you afterward, and I uh, uh, wish I could attend, and maybe I can uh, send one of my colleagues in the area to attend and uh, give us a report back here on the uh, radio show. And uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was, um, uh, what about the private contractors over in Iraq uh, who have seemingly, uh, all indications are that they've committed some horrible crimes, would, would they be legally liable under uh, war crimes prosecutions? Well, the best way I can answer that question is to say, I don't know why not. They are acting... They are, they are acting in the uh, f uh, form of what are called state actors. In other words, they've been commissioned by government to do things so that, and uh, by the way, certain statutes like the anti-torture statute, and I think this is true of the War Crimes Act as well, uh, don't require that the culprit be a state actor. You just can't commit torture, period. Um, so even if these people weren't, quote, state actors, they could be guilty. But, um, but uh, it, the guilt is even uh, more clear, I suppose, or, well, if they are state actors. Now, you know, one of the things we're finding, uh, I remember a friend asked me uh, four or five years ago, what's the matter with using Blackwater? Well, you know, we're finding out what's the matter with using Blackwater. Mm -hmm. We have outsourced. Uh, a war, we're outsourcing crime, uh, and the president uh, and the secretary of defense not only have huge standing armies, which would have turned the, which could be causing the framers to turn over in their graves, because they fear that kind of thing, because it leads to wars. Not only do they have huge standing armies, but they can pay people to do things uh, which they don't have enough people in their own military to do. Uh, this is one of the, uh, you know, increasingly, I think it's going to become realized that this is one of the really serious problems that come out of this war. These uh, folks, uh, these Blackwaters and Triple Canopy and whoever else, there's about three or four big ones, uh, they were, uh, they were uh, doing things which are unlawful under contract at the United States government. And apparently a, a lot of the interrogations were carried out by these private, by private contractors, rather than by uh, American military or uh, or CIA officials, so I do not see any reason why these people acting on behalf of the government, acting as state actors and uh, being paid by the government, should not be equally subject to all the penalties of law. And I think that uh, torture penalties uh, apply to them regardless of whether they're acting for the government. I mean, after all. Let me put this way. What the hell? You can't commit murder just because you're not working for the government, can you? <laughs> right. Well, that is, but see, that's the John Yu and the David Addington and those types of lawyers try to make those twisted arguments that the law doesn't touch these people. They're not part of the military, and they're not Iraqi citizens. Therefore, they can do whatever they want in Iraq. But we know that that wouldn't hold up in any real court. That uh, is not some sort of... Uh, you know, kangaroo court or something, right? Well, that's, you know, uh, as we talk about it, that's certainly what I think. You you cannot violate the law just because you're not a government official. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, the thought is ludicrous. Yeah, yeah and then we this kind of comes back to the, uh, you know, back in, what was it, late 2001 or early 2002, uh, when the Bush administration were going to take uh, captured Taliban and al-Qaeda to Guantanamo, which they thought could be construed to come under murky jurisdiction, and then they started using the ostensibly legal, uh, legally ambiguous uh, theme, unlawful enemy combatant. And, and it was all this kind of thing of, like, how can we do things that the law can't touch us? And, um, you know, I think we're finding that... Almost the entire uh, legal field finds that to be ludicrous. 
Right. Yeah. You know, for several reasons. Uh, first, that Guantanamo is uh, within American jurisdiction. And secondly, there's a concept in law, and this is what has been scaring the uh, living bejesus out of these people. Uh, and uh, uh, it's something that Goldsmith talks about in his book, and uh, the Rumsfelds of this world hate it. It's called universal jurisdiction. And it means that any any country has authority, has jurisdiction to try criminal uh, war criminals or uh, people who violate the Geneva Conventions uh, anywhere. It's, the jurisdiction is universal. Anybody has it. That's how Spain uh, tried to get hold of, and the English House of Lords agreed with them. That's how Spain tried to get hold of uh, uh, Pinochet. Uh, uh, you know, um, so whether you're in Guantanamo, whether Guantanamo is American territory or not American territory, uh, our our courts have jur- universal jurisdiction to try crimes committed at Guantanamo, and uh, all foreign courts have uh, uh, jurisdiction to uh, uh, try crimes committed at Guantanamo. Okay, well, we're just about out of time here, and so I want to give people a little more information before we go. And I'm speaking today with Lawrence Velville. He is the dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, and he is uh, convening a conference uh, to discuss and lay plans for obtaining uh, prosecutions of high-level U.S. war criminals. And if you want information about that, if you're interested in attending and hearing all of the uh, brilliant legal experts who will be there, uh, you can email uh, at info at no, war. No, it's just war, war-crimes.info. Okay, uh, but the email, oh, they can just go there, and uh, but I've got an email address here, info at war-crimes.info. Well, you know, maybe you're right, or maybe it, there may be an info in front or not, but in, whether there is or isn't, the rest of it is war-crimes.info. Okay. And you can find out more information about that. Uh, Lawrence Velvel, Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, thanks so much for being with us today. You're welcome. Thank and, you. And good luck with this. Thank you. Okay, bye now. All right, yes, that's uh, Lawrence Velvel. He is the Dean of the Massachusetts School of Law, and uh, this is going to be a fascinating conference, which I'm sure will get... Uh, little uh, coverage in the uh, mainstream news media, so uh, that's why we're covering it here and urging all of you uh, alternative uh, media people to uh, follow up on this, and this is a, a, a real event. This is something that needs to be done, needs to be taken care of. Well, we don't want to, 20 years from now, say that we all just sat by and allowed this to happen, and uh, so we, we have to um, do whatever is necessary to bring these people to justice and not have America be a uh, warmongering state and a state that engages in torture as official policy. Okay, this is Robert Larson uh, closing out out the rabbit hole. I want to say uh, next week my special guest will be Paul Crick. We're, uh, he is the producer and director of the uh, film Able Danger, which is a fascinating alternative uh, sort of fictional look uh, into uh, the events of 9-11 and people who are trying to research what really happened on that day. So that will be a fascinating talk. And uh, so stay tuned. Uh, we've got uh, Kyle coming up with excellent music. As always, this is uh, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, also on the web at KUCI.org. And don't forget the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regions. Robert Larson saying I'll be talking to you next week.